Good morning, everybody. Welcome to WNHE's newest local community show, New Haven Newsmakers, hosted by Mayor Steve McMichael. Good morning. You're listening to New Haven Newsmakers with Mayor Steve. Today, I'm joined by Peter Niagu, who is the Energy Advisor for Paulding Putnam Electric Cooperative. Peter, welcome to my well, I almost said My Who's Your Home, our old show. You were a frequent guest on our on our old yes. show, My Who's Your Home. We've rebooted that now as New Haven Newsmakers with Mayor Steve. Welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. When we rebooted this show, you were one of the guests I wanted to have early on because I always was fascinated by the tips that you had, and I always learned something. And I got feedback a lot that our listeners were learning things as well from that. So really appreciate you doing it. So before we get started with that, tell us a little bit about about Peter, your training, your life. I know your wife owns an antique store in Van Wert. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about, about, about you and your family. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, my wife and I actually are not from the Northwest Ohio, Northeast Indiana area originally. We, we actually moved here from Columbus, Ohio about, well, 13 years ago now. Okay. And did you come directly to Pauline Putnam when you came to Northwest Ohio? I did. Okay. Yes, yes, I came from Columbus, Ohio, and I came directly here and uh, took this energy advisor position at Pauline Putnam Electric. And back then, it wasn't cutting edge, but not, not every utility company had an energy advisor at that point, right? No, 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 no. Actually, it's... Quite frankly, it's pretty exclusive to the to the cooperative world. It was something that was, I would like you said, it probably not cutting edge, but there is, for the most part, an energy advisor on staff at almost all of the co-ops in the state of Ohio and or Indiana. So I want to get to the cooperative difference here in a little bit, but tell me a little bit more about this antique store that's in Van Wert, because Van Wert is such a great story of the renaissance yeah. and rebirth of the community. Yeah, yeah, sure. So my wife and I, I say wife and I loosely because my wife is... She does all the work, right? She, <laughs> she does a lot of the work, yeah. Uh, she and I, we, we, we do run the business, but she's she does the day-to-day operations. I mainly move stuff, you know, uh, if we have to strategize from a business perspective, we, we have discussions. But yeah, otherwise, I, I'm usually there after work, uh, Monday through Friday, or I help out on Saturdays. You know, like I said, I'm the, I'm the chief mover. I do a lot of the maintenance work. Uh, when a light bulb goes out, I actually replace, I'm in the process of replacing old, less inefficient fluorescent bulbs with new LED light bulbs. Wonderful. So, well, see, you got to live, yeah. what, you gotta live what your work profession is, exactly. right? Exactly. Right, right. So the name of your, your antique store? It's, your uh, it's called Touches of Time Antiques. And is it, where, where in Van Wert is it? So okay. I know it's downtown. Yeah, we're right, we're right in downtown Van Wert. We're on Main Street. So we're on the corner of Main Street which is also State Route 127 yes. that runs north and south, yep. and Central, East Central. So we're on the corner. We, uh, well, of course we sell antiques, but we sell a variety of different things. Anything that has a little bit of age to it, collectibles, uh, furniture, that kind of thing. We have, uh, actually we have about 15 vendors in that building. Consignment type situation? Uh, actually, no, we, we don't consign, but we do rent spaces Wonderful. to vendors. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So those listening in New Haven or beyond, come on over to Van Wert for yeah. an afternoon and, and check it out. A lot of great things happening all over Northeast Indiana, Northwest Ohio, in, including Van Wert. Well, as I mentioned, you were a frequent guest on our old nice. program, My Hoosier Home, which aired from 2014 through 2018. It was always a pleasure having you on. Well, let's start with some of the basics. And in full disclosure, I'm a trustee for Paulding Putnam Electric Cooperatives. I currently serve as the board chair. Tell our listeners what the cooperative difference is and how you become a member of a cooperative. Yeah, so there, 
is a cooperative difference. So basically comparing to like an investor-owned utility. So Ohio Power or Indiana Michigan Power or Duke. Right, yeah, an investor-owned utility like uh, American Electric Power or Indiana Michigan Power, they mainly operate and run their business with investors. Okay, and they are a for-profit organization. Whereas we actually are not for-profit and we essentially a local company that lives within the community. The the biggest difference of course like I said earlier is we don't actually try to collect a you know a profit. We essentially operate just to cover our costs. Okay. And when I say cover costs I mean whatever it costs us to purchase power and, and distribute electricity to our members out in rural Ohio and, and or Indiana. Rural and, and suburban in New Haven's yeah, yeah, case as right. well. We're going to talk about costs in a few minutes, but one of the things that I love, well, I love many things about the cooperative business model. First of all, is the seven cooperative principles that we live by. Mm-hmm. And one, one of those is the, the fact that I'm the trustee for Adams Township in the area around New Haven. It's not a shareholder that's on the board. It is actually a member that is voted for by the other members. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the return of the members' profits, the mm-hmm. members' equity through through capital credits. Mm-hmm. For Pauline Putnam members, look at your December bill because you just saw your portion of that equity as a credit on your latest bill. Yeah, right, yeah. So anything that is essentially left over, it goes right back to the members. It really, I mean, the only way you can become a member is if you purchase a home within our service territory. So let's talk about that for a second. REMCs, as they're known in Indiana, or electric cooperatives, are in more rural areas mm-hmm. because back in the 30s, the farms were not served by, by the incumbent electric utilities because they couldn't make enough money. They didn't have the business case for it. So farmers came together, rural residents came together, and they created their own electric companies. And it's mm-hmm. such a cool thing to think about that. And those areas then that the incumbent electric companies thought were unprofitable, now in a lot of cases, like about 20% of New Haven, a lot of homes and a lot of people live there. So my neighborhood, I live in Castle Rock and neighborhoods like Greenwood Lakes and Lake Scarborough and part of Meadowbrook, those, those are all Paulding and Putnam territory. Yeah, it's a really neat story how the, how the community banded together in, in 1935 and where the investor-owned utilities didn't really necessarily want to go to rural America. Wherever they didn't go is where essentially we went. And how it worked basically, in 1935, FDR enacted the Rural Electrification rural Act. Electrification Act. Yeah. And basically, uh, you know, the, the funds for that really went to the communities that were willing to band together and, and really improve the lives of the community. You know, so think about back then, how much harder your life would be without power if you lived in the country or if you had a, a farm. And by simply putting or giving the ability to you know, have electricity, it really increased the quality of life to our, to well, now our members. And really that that's the, the, the story behind the electric cooperatives or the REMCs is to improve the quality of life for our, our members and our community, and now, we still do it today. Well, and here's the great thing, too. In a future episode, I wanna, I wanna do a story because our, our CEO, Randy Price, and myself and a couple of our linemen have been to Guatemala yeah. and pretty much did the same thing 80 years later. I mean, it's, it is a great story how your linemen and others associated with your electric cooperative and other electric cooperatives in Indiana and Ohio have gone and, and illuminated, gave power and hope to rural villages in Guatemala. Pretty similar to what happened right here in rural America 80 years ago. 
And I've had the honor of going there and help train board members for that. So it's a great thing. That's a whole other story coming up. I love the co-op story, and we're going to talk more about that. Let's talk a little bit about, and we don't want to go too deep in this, but cost of electricity has gone, gone way up on the wholesale market of what Paulding Putnam and, and Indiana Michigan Power and Ohio Power, and everybody has to pay for that for that power, right? Right, yeah. So we are actually right in the middle of a cost of service study, or we're probably going to be wrapping so it up. So what is a cost? Soon. I know what a cost of service study is, but our listeners may not. Simply put, it's just what it essentially costs the co-op to operate. To, to run the business and to recover the cost that it cost us to purchase power wholesale and distribute the electricity to your homes. And that includes, of course, the, our lines, our poles, the office, our linemen, the trucks, all that stuff. So we, we, essentially just, we essentially do a study to be able to recoup the cost of what it costs to run the business really at cost. Right, because Paulding Putnam is a, a not-for-profit, not a. It, it's yeah. got it's got to cover its costs. Yeah, yeah, right, right, and you know, I, as much as as it, it pains us to, you know, have to, uh, you know, increase the rates, we probably will be, you know, having an increase here in in, in the future, but but that's that's because of, you know, everybody's been hurting with with the the cost of of everything going up, and that doesn't change for us. You know, we we've we have had many years of of not having you know a rate increase, and when you have the likes of going up in terms of cost, you know, a, a pole nowadays we've seen an increase of 15 percent. Cross arm brace braces have gone up 85 percent. Transformers like 78 percent. Service wire almost 100 percent. So these are some of the basic things that we need to to keep the power on at your house, and you know we've gone quite a while without having an increase and we can only go so far and it's really catching up with that. Well, and as you drive around the southern part of New Haven or out in Ohio or out in the rural area, you see all those miles of electric line. Those things need to be replaced. Those aren't the original from 1935 in almost every case. And, and they only last so long and they need to be maintained because the expectation is there, rightfully so, that every time you flip a switch, the power's there, right? Right, right, yeah. We've had, we've had some pretty serious storms here lately. You know, we've had 30, 40, 50 mile an hour winds, sub-zero temperatures, and that doesn't bode well for holes that are old or equipment that's just frankly old. Well, no different than your house. Roof wears out, things wear out in your house. It's the same thing with that electrical distribution system yeah, as well. Right. Let's talk about the good side of this. There are some things that you can do as a homeowner or you as a member of Paulding Putnam or if you are a customer of, of Indiana Michigan Power or Duke or, or whatever your utility company happens to be. And, and this is something that I always enjoy talking to you about is how people can spend less money on energy and how they can achieve the same results. And there's some things that are kind of counterintuitive. One thing I want to start with, let's talk about furnace filters and how important it is to make sure that furnace filters are changed on a regular basis and what that does if you don't. Well, the key to any sort of heating system to work properly or efficiently is airflow. And to make sure you don't have any or much, if not any, restrictions of airflow. So that would include things like return air vents, supply vents that push the air throughout the house. One of the things that you can do pretty regularly and very easily is making sure that your air filters are changed on a regular basis. For the most part, 
you probably want to change them every month, but some of the higher dollar air filters that are specialized maybe could last a little bit longer, uh, maybe two, three months, but that's really dependent on you know the, your lifestyle in your house, if you have pets or... Now, now when you go to Lowe's, Menards, whatever your location of choice is, your corner hardware, there is a rating on there. Merv. Merv's. Yeah. So what, what does I go and, you know, when I buy a furnace filter, I look at it, go, it's this allergy and all these other things. What is important there? And also, uh, we've got a newer home with like the four inch media filter, the, mm-hmm. the larger one. But houses I've had before, you could put in those ones with just the blue fiber in there that are 59 cents. So tell me the difference in between a 30 or $40 filter and a 59 cent filter. So really, it comes down to what that air filter can prevent from going through the filter and into your furnace. So let, let's start, let's go there a little bit. So. Okay. Some people think the filter is to keep things from going into the house. It's actually just the opposite. You're trying to keep minerals, dirt, everything else from going into the the body of the furnace, right? Correct. I think a lot of people think that it's just the opposite, that you're not that you're not getting dust and things going into your home from your furnace. Correct, yes. So that's a huge misconception. Ultimately, what you're pulling into the furnace with the return air vents going through that air filter, that is actually what cleans the air that's coming out of the furnace on the other end. So whatever comes in is cleaned before it goes out, essentially. Okay. So yes, that is that is critical to the, the wellness and the health and the efficiency of the furnace. So why we're talking about furnaces, the same for central air conditioning if you have central air to make sure that that, that filter is clean as well. Correct, yes. So in my previous life, I was a realtor for a long time and I'd go along to home inspections and occasionally the inspector would pull out a furnace filter completely collapse and basically part of the unit. Yeah. It, that's a lot of buildup over time. But what does that, and I know you're not an HVAC tech, but mm-hmm. you're very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. What 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 does that do? Does it make it work harder? Does it? What does that dynamically do to the furnace and, or the cooling system? Oh, it does a lot of really bad things. <laughs> okay, so for one, uh, as I was saying earlier when, when we started discussing this, airflow is key. So whatever air is pulled to the furnace with the return air, whatever goes into it essentially comes out. So whatever you're not pulling in is not coming out. So the less you're pulling in, the the less um, so here let me go back a step the less air you pull in with those burners running if, if you have a, a natural gas furnace mm-hmm. which most or a lot of people in new haven have because natural gas is re- readily available what would or what could happen is it is temperature inside of that furnace will or could increase because you don't have the proper airflow that's going through you know, the burners essentially or the the Let's just say the burner. We don't want to get too sure. technical. Sure. So if if uh, you don't have the proper airflow going over, then it could potentially throw up a red flag saying, "Hey, something is not right," and it could cause it the to, circuit board may shut it down. It could shut it down. Yes, okay. that's correct. Which would leave you stranded on a day that is sub-zero out. Could or could be a hundred degrees out. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about too, while we're talking about air conditioning, and I'd love to have you back late spring to talk about mm-hmm. these as well. We've talked yeah. about this before is icing of, of central air systems, right? When that, that is a whole nother story and, and mm-hmm. things that preventative maintenance and things you can do to, to keep from that happening. Yeah, again, icing is, with your central AC system, icing could be another issue with airflow. And it could be other, other reasons as well, but one of the main culprits for 
an AC system not working is, again, not having the proper airflow going through. So change that filter. Change that filter. And, and maybe, so I, I kind of, when you're going good, better, best, I'm kind of the, in that better range. I usually don't buy the lowest price. I usually don't buy the highest price. I've personally found the best value kind of in the middle. It's going to vary from person to person, but that's probably a, a good train of thought, right? Yeah, so earlier we were talking about MERV rating. And the higher the number, the higher the MERV number, the essentially the better the filter and the more particulates it the more bad things, pollutants, allergens and such, filter out. It can filter. So theoretically, the higher the MERV rating, the better. However, you want to be careful with how high of a MERV system you go because some furnaces are not designed to have such a high MERV rating filter because of airflow. Okay. So the higher MERV rating, the less the more restrictive it is of airflow. So that could cause you a whole other, a lot more problems that you could potentially have. So you're right. Basically what I would do is I would probably go with maybe a 10 or 12 MERV rating or, or essentially middle, middle up, upwards, just above middle ground. And newer homes, when I say newer, I mean probably built in the last 10 years or so, they're designed for energy efficiency. Yeah. And you know, it's not just a stock furnace that they put in, not like the old days. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about cold air returns, how important that is. A lot of people, uh, they don't have cold air returns like in the bedroom and the bedroom door shut. They can hear it smack when the heat, the yeah. furnace or the air conditioning turns on. Um, some of the things you can do if you're experiencing that, you're not getting that airflow, not just mm -hmm. through the furnace filter, but through the cold air return as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so cold air return is very critical to the the wellness of your furnace. So really the best, in, in a perfect world, you would want to have a return vent per room if possible, okay? And if you don't have that, which is pretty common now, nowadays, or in older homes that were retrofitted with central systems that don't necessarily return air. <laughs> that return air going up to a second story or even all the bedrooms. But ultimately, really, it's about airflow and being able to get air pulled into that furnace. Keep your doors open. A lot of people back in the day, they used to uh, cut the bottoms of doors. And if you've been in a manufactured home, you see that all the time where there's a gap at the bottom of the door. Yeah. And that's why. Two, right. One, two, three inches. Right. And that's to be able to pull the air out of that bedroom without having to open the door. Now, there's a lot of good reasons, and we want to emphasize when you're sleeping at night, it's good to keep that bedroom door closed because if there is a fire in your home, it's amazing how a door can stop that. Yeah. So it, that is important to, to keep mm -hmm. your bedroom door closed at night. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit about space heaters. It's been cold out. People think that if they buy the, the, the nice crafted Amish electric heater that they're paying $200 for, that they're going to save money on their energy bill. Pluses, minus of that, and also, obviously, you got to keep in mind where your thermostat is too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, with being the energy advisor, this is something that we contend with every year in the winter. Air space heaters are great in space that a space heat a space no matter how you how you slice it no matter how you slice the pie i guess if you will a a watt is a watt is a watt um, so most heaters are 1500 watts something like that most of them are actually 1500 but you can vary the temperature down okay. to 750 or okay. up to 1500 okay. so let's talk about that in, in comparison people get their bill or the kilowatt hour charge mm -hmm. and if i'm running a space heater for an hour mm -hmm. 
kind of what is what does that look like? And I don't mean to make you do a math problem here, but if you're running a 1500 watt heater for an hour, and say the kilowatt hour charge is 12 cents a kilowatt hour, what does that look like? Well, if you run your 1500 watt space heater for one hour, you simply divide that by a thousand. So one and a half kilowatts. One and a half kilowatts. Multiply that by 12 cents. And that'll be a, about 18 cents an hour to run that. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, and then you just multiply that by, by however, 24. However by many hours. Yeah. 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 I can tell you. I can tell you that space heaters are deceiving in that you can buy a 1500 watt space heater and spend twenty dollars, or buy a 1500 watt space heater and spend three hundred dollars. And it's a nice piece of furniture. It's still 1,500 watts. It's still 1,500 watts. And the smaller it is doesn't mean it uses less energy. So let's compare that to like a toaster or a hairdryer. It's actually no different. (laughs) It's about the same wattage. So if you could imagine having running a hairdryer nonstop 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day, Mm -hmm. that that would be about the same energy equivalent as running a space heater. It would, if you were to run a space heater 24-7 for 30 days, it would cost, it'll be over 1,000 kilowatt hours. Right. And that would equate to $120 a month. Right. For any 1,500 watt space heater. Right. Well, let's talk about sometimes we use space heaters in our home if we're in our great room. We have to be really careful because our thermostat is also in our great room. And if you're not careful and you heat up that room, you're heating up the thermostat, the rest of the house gets cold because it tells the furnace that, hey, it's already 68 degrees in here or whatever you have the thermostat set to. So the furnace doesn't run and the other rooms in the house get cold. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have to just keep that in mind that your thermostat, it's not a very smart device. I mean, they could be pretty smart nowadays. However, it's just doing one thing, which is keeping the house, the temperature that you have it set at. And if that room stays at 73 degrees or even increases, it will not turn on and heat the rest of the house. So let's talk about thermostats for a second. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a Wi-Fi enabled that works with my Ring alarm system and, and my Alexa. Do you really save energy if you're not home during the day by backing the furnace off? And I believe the answer is you can, but there's a point of no return where if you back it off so much that it costs so much to heat it back up that you've you've maybe even defeated the purpose. Well, yes. And over the years, there has been quite a lot of schools of thought on this. And a lot of studies have been, been done. And really what it comes down to is it depends on what type of heating system you have. And for example, if you have a gas furnace, a natural gas furnace, really any time that you turn it off is, any time it's not running, mm-hmm. it is always a good thing. And if you can set back that thermostat five, six, seven degrees, let's just say you have your thermostat set at 70 when you're home, or mm-hmm. let's just say 70. Setting it back to 65 is not a problem. Okay, with a standard gas furnace. The rule of thumb is off is always off. It's always a good thing. Even if it does increase the runtime when you do bring the temp back up into your house. But that's not the same case for a central AC system or an air source heat pump. Okay. You have to be very careful, or geothermal heat pumps. You have to be very careful with uh, setting back the temperatures. And with those with those systems, it's almost better to just set it back one or two degrees with a thermostat that can handle a setback that's compatible with heat pumps. And that's because a lot of times 
when you, if you go a degree or two more setback, the heat pump can't necessarily recover or recoup the heat that's required um, for that heat pump or geothermal or whatever the case may be to get that temperature back up in a timely manner. So what it does is it asks for backup help. So, which is usually an electric coil or? Correct, yes, it's a big, it's a big right. blow dryer, a hair dryer in your garage or basement. And once that turns on, your ear meter really starts spinning. It's thousands and thousands of watts of power. So it's best if you consult your HVAC contractor on what the what proper thermostat would be for that type of system. And look, and if you don't, you know, if you don't feel comfortable calling your HVAC company, or you simply would rather just call your local electric cooperative that's in the community right down the road and only a phone call away, uh, you can give me a call and I can give you some advice on what type of system and how far back that you should set the thermostat for savings, etc. One of the things that my wife and I do, we're empty nesters. We like it being a little cooler when we're sleeping. We find it more comfortable. So we keep it on 70 most of the day. My wife works from home. But overnight, we let it back off to 66 or 67 degrees, and it warms back up again. So that, that's fine is what you're telling me. That's fine, yes. yes. Okay. So you have a gas furnace. Gas right? furnace, yeah. yeah that's fine. natural gas furnace. That's fine, yeah. Keep going back as much as you want, like I was saying earlier. It, a kilowatt hour not used is a kilowatt hour saved. But in this case, a, a therm of gas not used is a therm of gas saved in this scenario. So like I was saying before, there might be a lot of contradicting messages out there, but the the latest studies have shown that, and again, I can't stress this enough, depending on what type of system you have, a gas furnace, the further back you set it, as long as you want, the better. So many things I want to talk about. This is only a half an hour show, so I can't wait to have you back because I've got, I'm processing so many, so many different questions here. A couple things I want to talk about. So if, for example, you're seeing an ice buildup or feel a draft coming through your outside wall, your exterior wall electrical outlets, those plugs that you can get at Walmart or Lowe's or your corner hardware store, are those a benefit? Do they do they help? And also, the, then you can take your plate off and you can put the, the seal behind that also. Yeah, they, they are a benefit. They do help, but in some cases, they are not enough, depending on how leaky, how big the leak is. You know, if you see frost buildup or you feel a draft, that's usually a sign of there being some sort of leak. And if there is a leak, that means there isn't insulation where there is frost buildup. So what's really happening is that cold air, if it's windy and blistery outside, when it's blowing up against your house and making its way into your house and touching a warm surface where there isn't insulation, it's going to condensate. And when it condensates at those temperatures, it freezes. All right, again, so many things, so many things I want to talk about. You know, it's kind of the same thing for windows. Uh, Let's talk about attics for a second. People Mm. say, oh, it's so cold in my attic in, in the winter and so hot in the summer. That's by design. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't you don't want your attic to be 300 degrees in the summer, right? But you got a problem if your attic is the same temperature as your house. Yeah, yeah. As you said, attics are designed to ventilate and have outside air ventilating through you know through the attic for for you know moisture reasons. If your attic is warmer than it is outside, then you probably have excess leaks going into your attic through light fixtures or recessed lights or even attic hatches. That's not a good thing. That's usually not a good sign. Also, the same thing for the summertime. You want to be able to ventilate as much air as possible. Right. 
One of the things I love about electric cooperatives is what you do, energy advisor. You'll come out and do an energy audit of a home. You did it, not in the home I live in now, but in a previous home yeah. that I owned. It was amazing with the infrared camera and everything, you mm-hmm. being able to show me where leaks were. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised. So tell me a little bit about that service, yeah. uh, the cost to that, what the potential benefits are for our members. and. We'll talk a little bit if you're not served by Pauline Putnam. Say you're served by Indiana Michigan Power or Ohio Electric Power. Call all that customer service and ask them if they do something the same. But in Pauline Putnam's case, Mm -hmm. what is an energy audit and how does a member go about it? Yeah, really. So the energy audit basically is a program where I would come out to your house and I would assess or I would audit your home from an energy efficiency or a weatherization standpoint. We do have a couple of of programs where if basically I come out and do a walkthrough audit with my infrared camera, that doesn't cost you anything. Mm. And I can give you all of the tips and all of the tricks and everything that I see that I think you could improve your efficiency with whatever the case may be. I usually come out and I walk through the house with you, the homeowner, the member, and I see and we discuss and I tell you everything that you probably should consider doing for energy savings or even comfort, and that doesn't cost you anything. Truth be told, I've been doing this long enough to where I can probably get away without even having to you. We have another service where I would hook up what's called a blower door Mm -hmm. to your home, and the, the blower door would expose any leaks that I or the homeowner don't necessarily see when it's a nice 75 degree day out or even 90 degree day out. But usually you can see the problems or not see but feel, in some cases see but feel the, the issues when it's really, really cold out. But in more rare cases, if I can't figure out what's happening and it's a head scratcher, I do offer the service of where I would come out, hook up a blower door. Basically, it's an industrial-sized fan that hooks up to a centralized exterior door. And basically, we we pull, suck all the air out of the house, Creates pressure, creating a vacuum, yeah. creating um, the house to have makeup air from outside coming in, which with my camera and or a smoke stick, I, I can find all of the cracks and crevices or the inefficiencies. So this would cost $100 to the member, but if you do have the service done based on my findings and if you make improvements with proof of purchase of X, Y, or Z, you can get that money back. So it's essentially no cost to you if you really are looking to improve the efficiency of your house and you have serious problems. But for the most part, um, I think we can get away with doing just a free walkthrough audit. And again, they can call you with questions. You may not even have to go out. They might be able to explain the circumstances. You might go, hey, did you check this? Well, no, I didn't, right? Yeah. Well, of course, absolutely. In fact, I do a lot of over-the-phone consultations. That's part of the other service that we offer. And look, you know what? I get a lot of, by the member, I get a lot of, well, why why are you guys offering a service where... I'm going to buy less of the product that you sell. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the cooperative difference. Member right. owned, and the idea is to provide a service and capture the cost for providing that service. And the cost of energy is going up, no doubt. We've all seen it at the gas pump, and we've seen when we go buy vehicles, when we go buy goods and services, all those things are up. So, of course, the cost of providing electricity has gone up as well. So, Peter, any any last words when it comes to energy audits or, or simple things that somebody just, you know, I, I used to tell my real estate clients twice a year just to walk around your house. Look for caulk that's missing. Mm-hmm. Look for things that, that are And also, if you open your windows in the fall, make sure you've completely closed them and they're sealed because a lot of cold air can come in through there. 
Yeah, yeah. You mentioned simple things, and that's some of the things that I see a lot going through an audit or going through a house when I'm auditing someone's house. Simply, you know, I see a lot of latches that are not latched on windows. That that makes a difference. So when windows are tested for tightness and efficiency, they're tested under optimum conditions with the windows latched. So people forget to do that, do that a lot. I can't stress this enough also. We've been talking about it. Furnace maintenance, preventative maintenance. I highly encourage you call your HVAC contractor to come out once, twice a year, once in the fall to do preventative maintenance on the furnace. And that's, mm -hmm. they'll test the amperage of the scroll fan. They'll make sure that the fan, in most cases, is oiled. Uh, the scroll fan, is the bearings are oiled properly. Although, in some cases, depending on what kind of furnace filter you have, they'll replace a the filter. They'll test the um, igniter, make sure it's working properly. And the reason why you want to do this is because usually when things break on a furnace... It's 20 below. Around, it's 20 below. Yeah, up. it's not when it's 60 and sunny. Yeah, and when that furnace is stressed and using, it's going through a lot, you know, when it's 10, 15 below out, that's when things break. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is make sure it's done. You want to get that service done in the fall and uh, for the for the winter heating preventative maintenance plan, and then even do the same thing maybe in the spring. So what you're doing is you're you're potentially catching a problem that could happen. Well, and again, the investment what a furnace costs to replace eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars, or maybe even more. You know, so if you're spending a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars yeah, twice right. a year, that, that's pretty good insurance policy. Absolutely. In fact, I can't stress that enough. It might even be a hundred and fifty for twice a year. And, and I know there's a lot of companies out there that if you sign up for the contract, they do, they do it regularly, then you get on the priority list if you do have a problem as well. And we've been through a cold spell. I've talked to seven people in the last few days that the furnace went out this past weekend. It happens. That's when it happens. And it never happens at a good time. One last question I have for you, and I can't wait to have you back because I want to talk about wind, I want to talk about solar, I want to talk about all these different things, and I want to talk a little bit about EVs also, and I want to mm -hmm. talk about the rebates that the cooperative offers yeah. for new homes or if you go out and buy an Energy Star freezer, refrigerator, so I hope you come back and, and join us again. One last compelling important question, are you a cat or a dog person or neither? Oh, I... I am a cat person. A cat person, okay. And that was only, that was only, that's only because of, by default, when I got married. Sabrina had a cat? Sabrina was a cat lady. Okay. Oh, well, be careful on that cat lady. She might be listening <laughs> to this, Peter. Oh, I have no doubt she'll be listening to this. But yeah, we, I will be honest, I was not necessarily a cat person. I was more of a dog person. Yes. When we got married. And now I am... I'm happily a cat person Wonderful. and happily married. And how many cats do you have? Uh, I'm not sure. Inside and out, we have a lot of outside okay. cats. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, we live in a country, so it seems like when you live in a country, yeah, yeah. they appear the all running the running census is, yeah, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> exactly, yes. But we'll just leave it at that, uh, how okay. many we have. All right. They're there great companions, for sure. Peter Niago, thank you so much for joining us. A quick shout out on your contact information and on the podcast versions. We'll put these links. But for those listening on the radio, your contact information, email, and phone number. So if you want to call me directly, you can just call me at 419 area code 399-1892. Again, 419-399-1892. And that's directly to, to my office. And if you want to just email me at pniagu at ppec.coop. 
And if you're a member of Pauline Putnam, either the Indiana Connection magazine or the Ohio Cooperative Living has great tips in there, usually Colin by you and, and other journalists and advisors that give really solid information in there about how to save energy because your cooperative wants you to use as little electricity as possible. We want to improve the, the lives of our members as much as we can. Peter Niago, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for all you do. You've been listening to New Haven Newsmakers with Mayor Steve. Eleven twenty-seven Services is wholly responsible for the content of New Haven Newsmakers. No taxpayer monies was used in its production. <laughs>